Good day, everyone. I'm Guillermo Perez, the author of All the Diets Under the Sun. Welcome to my podcast. This next chapter is called The Next Relapse. It's chapter eight. Um, the interesting thing is, as I'm looking out the window on this beautiful May Saturday, the sun is shining and the birds are flitting around. I'm thinking the next relapse. How about the continuous relapses? Unfortunately, people with my problem often fall back on the old crutches and weaknesses. And it uh, takes a lot of discipline to climb out of it. The point of this book is to show you that again and again we fall, but again and again we must rise. So I hope you enjoy it. Here comes the, uh, the chapter. Okay, chapter eight, the next relapse. In August 1998, our business unit was closed down at the bank. Though the business, my buddy Alan and I started at the bank, had its first profitable year. There was an explosion in the mortgage and credit industries, and quite simply, the bank had a better return on their investment with lending, with less risk in their minds than we did trading. Of course, by 2006, that picture would change, but I was long gone before that. One of our best customers suggested I go out on my own. The idea would be that once I got it started, Alan could join me. I made a big mistake. I should have worked with Alan right away. The truth is, I wasn't ready to go it alone. If it wasn't for the one customer who trusted and encouraged me, I would not have done so. In hindsight, I realized the way I went down this path was not well planned. I should have sought more counseling from others before I made the decision. I lacked many of the skills and know-how needed to be successful. Sure, I was a good businessman and negotiator, but I was used to being helped with direction. If Alan had been with me in, in retrospect, I know we would have had success. But that is water under the bridge, and we, we had now, due to my own stupid decision, gone our separate ways. I recall going out to lunch with my wife to reveal my plans. She was very supportive. She had some office stationery made for me, including an engraved letter over. This really gave me the courage I needed to move forward. Courage, though, is not enough. You need to have more than one business in your plan because markets change and you need to be able to adapt. The first few years I was inventing the business, I had two regular clients for the import-export of precious metals. I had a book of domestic customers that I could rely on for some business in foreign exchange and precious metals. The crazy thing is I was able to do millions of dollars of business with no money. It was all based on trust back in those days. People did business with you because they trusted you. My first business was exporting precious metals products to Latin America. Most of my business was in Mexico. I was making decent money until the NAFTA free trade agreement kicked in. Once that happened, Mexico changed many of their regulations in regards to precious metals. And in the end, I lost a significant part of business due to cheaper domestic sources. This was my primary account, which meant I was no longer making enough money to survive. I was in a quandary, but had not lost hope. Running a business, even a one-man shop, is not for the weak of heart. In 1999, there was an explosion of demand for silver retail products, as the public was frightened that a major computer failure was on its way, and that the U.S. dollar would then lose value, and only gold or silver would be the only negotiable currency. I got involved with that trade and was sourcing and selling products to many of my domestic customers. But the volume and the profit margin were not big enough for me to make a living. I was still able to get by, 
though it was no success. I shared few of my concerns with my wife. She tried to help by saving money where she could, but to maintain a middle-class lifestyle on one income, which was not strong, was now making me a lot more insecure. In 2000, our daughter was born. She was the world to us. She lit up the room and filled my heart with joy. By the time she became a one-year-old, she was the glue that kept me and my wife together. She just had the presence to make all the world's concerns disappear. But this did not mean that the growing bills and my inability to pay them did not grow with every month that passed. Serious self-doubt self began to creep into my heart. By 2001, the situation worsened. The demand for physical precious metals in the markets I worked in began to shrink. With the financial collapse of the banking system in Argentina and a general malaise in the Mercosur countries, it became difficult for me to make a living. I scratched my brain and looked for other ideas. I then began a commodity futures business as an introducing broker called Trinity Futures. I managed to land a few accounts, but again, but again there was insufficient business to contribute enough income to sustain me and my family. I also started doing business in my original industry, offering foreign currency exchange services. The location of my office did not lend itself to high traffic, but I was able to add a little bit more income. Finally, I landed a good consulting gig for a UK-based foreign exchange company, considering expanding into the US. I got paid very well and had a good year. I thought that this would be the lift I needed to finally get my business off the ground. I was wrong. They decided to hold off and I was left standing at the plate with no ball to hit. I kept putting what little cash I had back into the business. I had a first class website before most people even knew what one was. I was paying a monthly maintenance fee for that on top of my office rent. Eventually, I was running three different businesses and I called them the Trinity Group. I did FX, Precious Metals, and Futures. My older brother helped me out at that time as well and invested in the business. The idea was that when it eventually grew, he could jump in and we would get it to the next level. Unfortunately, this never happened, and I was never able to bring him any returns. I am lucky he loves me because I did end up costing him a few dollars. I recall September 11, 2001. That morning, I was on the phone with a broker on the gold exchange, and he told me that an airplane had just hit a tower. I turned on the radio in my office and tuned into video news coverage on the internet. The announcer was watching and describing what he was witnessing. Then he saw another plane approaching the other tower. He knew, and I instantly knew, we were under attack. It was a shock to all. A friend of ours was also killed in, that, in the towers that day. The stories I heard from my brother and friends that were downtown were horrors people typically only see in war. The destruction of the World Trade Center had changed the world forever. It certainly had a hand in destroying the little hope I had of growing my business. I began to lose faith in myself. I looked to other people searching and asking for ideas. I even had an, asked for an interview with a company I had worked for that I strongly disliked. I lost focus and by the end of 2002, I could not see any future. I was embarrassed by my failure in providing for my family. I kept the money problems from my wife. The only thing I shared was that things were very tight, but it was worse than that. The stress of the mounting debt was starting to kill me from the inside. I was not used to it because until that point in my life, I never had any significant debt except for the mortgage on the house. I kept it to myself not to upset my wife. 
During these days, the only joys were the times I was able to spend with my children that were often full of love and laughter. I played catch with the boys and we went on local overnight trips to upstate New York and Pennsylvania. We went to all the local major league baseball stadiums within driving distance. My good friend Paul joined us and we had a good time. My daughter was just always so much fun. She loved to sing and draw. We sang songs together and played games. Many times it was comforting just to lie down on the couch watching TV with her in my arms and this gave me peace. My favorite time was when I read books to her at night. We lived in a small two-bedroom house and her bed was in our room. She loved it that way. I sat at the edge of the bed and read to her. I loved to make her laugh, so I would play up the voices and characters in the book. There were two books that she loved so much, and I will never forget them. One was called Piggy Pie by Margie Palantini, and the other was Angelina Ballerina's Invitation to Ballet by Catherine Hullabard. Of course, there were classics like Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham, and we had fun with all of them. She filled my heart with love, and this gave me the strength to go on. To the children, I was fun, but to my wife, I was anything but. I was always stressed out about money, and that made me a grab. I was not fun to be around. This would make our relationship even more stressed. And though we still loved each other, these were the most difficult times. With love, anything is possible. But love alone would not be able to carry me. I needed a real opportunity, and I didn't have one in sight. To others, I seemed to be at peace. Yet deep inside, I realized I was kicking the can down the road and living a fantasy on the outside while I was in deep turmoil. I began to lose control of my eating habits once again. I began to gain weight. I was climbing above 180 pounds, and probably my inner discontent was also showing. The ugly side of me would rear its head when tensions in the household rose. Gaining weight makes one tired and unwell. It only makes matters worse. The next few years brought more financial disorder. I borrowed money against my home equity to pay off debts. The monthly bills kept mounting. And my wife and I were not having real, were now having real marital problems. I became ingrained in the negativity of the situation. I was becoming more and more disenchanted with life. The view I had of my current state of affairs was not pretty. In a way, I became angry at the world. I worked hard. I was an honest man. I could not find my place to be able to provide for my family. I saw many people with half the wit and plenty of guile have success. I felt worthless and my discontent continued to show itself on my hips. Weighing in at 190 pounds, I was unhappy and unhealthy. I looked at my daughter and knew I could not give up. My children deserved more than their father declaring defeat. I prayed for answers. I did not get one right away, so I decided I needed another stream of income. At the beginning of 2003, I decided to try my hand at a different industry while keeping my business in a semi-functioning mode. I closed the office and moved into the basement office of our home. A friend started me selling life insurance. My brothers knew I was struggling, and my younger brother had a company that operated a floor brokerage business on the commodity exchange known as the Comex. He gave me a job to help me while I got my training in the life insurance field. I am very grateful for that. The first time he paid me better than he had to, which enabled me to survive. The opportunity to learn something new and make connections threw a spark into my life when I felt I was burning out. It was also very exciting. That business is long gone now that the world has become computerized. The functions of the floor broker was to match bids and offers and open outcry. They charged a fee for the service and garnered value 
from the opportunity to see the flow of the market. However, it was never legal to execute your own orders ahead of your customers, and this infraction would be severely punished. This was called front-running. Oddly enough, with modern high-speed computer technology, front-running, in a sense, has been legalized. If you are interested in understanding how this business worked without getting into real details, a great movie to watch is Trading Places, starring Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. My brother tried to convince me to stay on, but I declined because I felt that I did not add real value to this business. If I, if I thought I could have helped this business grow, I would have. I knew one thing for certain. I would make my own way. I probably worked on the floor of the exchange for six months before I left to concentrate on my new business line. My wife took a part-time job, not for the money, but because she needed to do something outside the home. This meant we began to see each other less, and that is not good for a relationship. Our struggles would get only harder during this period. Selling life insurance took a lot of effort and involved many long nights. One thing that I learned is a real truism, that you cannot achieve an aim without suffering. Anyone that tells you otherwise is lying. In my first six months on the job, I became one of the top 50 salespeople in the country. I learned that I was good with people and developed the confidence I never had in the past. The job also gave me sales and time management skills that were superior to any I re ever received before. Yet though I was successful in this industry, I needed many years under my belt to develop a stream of income that could support my family. Even though I worked my ass off at the risk of destroying my marriage just to pay the bills, it just was not enough. I would be remiss in not writing that I also had support from the church. I had gone to Catholic school and been taught about God, but an experience in my youth confirmed it to me. I don't really care what naysayers have to say, but I had a short and scary contact with the other side. Someone gave me the gift of a Ouija board for my birthday when I was 13 years old. I took it out to play with it by myself on a summer day. I sat down with the board on the table, my hands on the planchette, and asked the spirits, does Joanne Martin like me? Well, the damn thing moved of its own accord, and I threw the board to the ground. I was totally freaked out. I know I did not move it. The experience made me aware that there is definitely a spirit world, which meant to me that God exists. In my 20s, I explored many different religions. The first was Mormonism, a religion that appeared to me way too fanciful, but it had good ethical teachings. The second, Judaism, was close to my heart, having been raised a Catholic. Atheism, the creed of the only grandfather I knew, made no sense to me at all. I couldn't accept that the world just happened and there is no ethos. Logically and scientifically, there has to be something or someone that put the ball in action. The world is just too complex for me to believe this is all some major accident. This creed would negate my experience with the Ouija board, so it was not a consideration for me. Agnosticism was, in my estimation, the lazy man's lack of inspiration to seek the truth. If God created the universe, then it makes sense he would look in on this world. This would mean there would be some form of special and meaningful communication. There are many religions in this world, and not all of them are peaceful or inspired. I couldn't go this path. I also looked at other forms of Christianity. Their weakest tenet, in my estimation, is that God created a book as a manual for us to live by. Though it can easily be misinterpreted, so it easily explains why there are over 
35,000 Christian sects in the United States alone. Of all the different beliefs I explored, the Scientologists were the most persistent. I had bought their book, Dianetics. When I did so, they asked for my name, address, and telephone number. I thought nothing of it and gave it to them. I read a few chapters, which were less than inspiring and not even interesting to me. And I decided whatever these folks were up to was not for me. It didn't matter to them because they persisted in calling me and sending me invitations to events for three years before they finally gave up. If the book was not enough to turn me off, their strange, their strange behavior sure was. I ended up rejecting all these, but it would still be years before I would return to the faith of my fathers. When my boys were young in their early 1990s, I started to pay better attention to the world around me. I realized how morally corrupt our media had become. I watched children's shows on PBS and realized that educational shows were being used to indoctrinate our children in immoral behavior. There were undercurrents promoting unnatural lifestyles. I was shocked, but as the years went on, it became even more apparent that the goal of social deconstructionism was to attack from within. They have been very successful. This is why our country is starting to break since it has lost its moral compass. This reaffirmed my belief that there is evil in the world. I knew that to fight that evil, I needed to seek truth. And seeking this, I found that it strengthened my Catholic faith. And so it was that I turned to the church's 2,000-year history to seek guidance. In the fall of 2004, on a cold, dark evening, I was on my way out for a night of prayer and reflection at an Opus Day event. I had been joining them for maybe a year. I remember turning down a road not a quarter mile from my house and then pulling over. I had no idea where I was going to get the money to pay the mortgage that night. I was finally at my wit's end and began to cry. I sat there for a few minutes, then proceeded to my evening of prayer. We had prayer time before the Blessed Sacrament, the real presence of Christ in the Sacred Host. Heard reflections, then had the opportunity to go to confession. The priest always set me straight. He was a real man's man. I liked him and trusted his judgment. I broke down in front of him. He grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me. I was totally surprised. He looked at me straight in the eyes and asked me, Do you have faith in Jesus Christ and know that he loves you? I answered yes. He told me that my prayers would be answered. My mind cleared, and I saw the situation in a different way, and was ready to move on. That evil fog that had crept over my mind had lifted. I was no longer in despair. The next day, I called on one of my closest friends, Paul, and borrowed money. I made the mortgage payment and paid off a few other bills. I even asked my mom for some help, and she offered to pick up the payments on my son's braces. I gave her the payment booklet and said I would take it back when I got back on my feet. My family and friends are willing to help. I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. Was I embarrassed? This brings to mind Benjamin Franklin's quote, Having been poor is no shame, but being ashamed of it is. A couple of days later, I was in New York City trying to land the Commodity Futures account. The building I was in housed one of my Trinity business counterparties, a large multinational company I had been doing business with for at least 15 years. I decided to stop by to say hello. While I was chatting with my friends on the trading desk, the president of the New York business asked me into his office. He offered me a job. I couldn't believe it. My prayers were answered. 
Well, that concludes chapter eight. I hope you enjoyed it. You can see plenty of stress involved there, pushing me to that going into my high weight mode again. I'm going through the same kind of lifestyle now, unfortunately, and uh, I'm pushing my highest weight. So I hope that uh, my listeners root for me, that I get back on the path and lose this weight because it's very unhealthy and I'm not feeling well. But thanks be to God, I have friends, family, and a girlfriend that I love very much and keeps me happy. Well, until next time, have a wonderful time and God bless.